Actually, we were naive and just went to the best bars in Zurich and showed them our product. And they really liked it. And they were fascinated about the story, also about uh, Florian's background, I think. And of course, the color change, because at that time, it was definitely something really unique and innovative. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. John and Florian, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you both here today. Thanks for having us. Yes. Thank you very much. You are the co-founders of De Frère, a wine and spirits producer based here in Zurich in Switzerland. Before we talk about your exciting products, so to speak, I want to actually start with your personal backgrounds. John, you've been a professional handball player. You also studied business administration and Florian, you studied food science. So before 2015, John, have you ever thought about starting a business together with your brother? Actually, yes. I think uh, since childhood, I have uh, a little drive in me that I want to do a business. I also, I think when I was like in middle school, I tried to sell uh, Pokemon cards. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know why exactly I have it in me, but I always had the drive. So... And I think 2013, we already started a project together. We had a small uh, fashion brand where we started uh, with T-shirts and hoodies. Mm -hmm. It was not really successful, but uh, I think uh, it teached us a lot. And also it gave us confidence that we can work together. And how was that for for you, Florian? Did you ever think about starting a business with your brother? Um, at the beginning, not I can say, I, I definitely not. Um, but after this um, journey we did uh, with the t-shirts and the hoodies, uh, mm-hmm. I thought, yes, this definitely works uh, for both of us. And after that, um, I said to myself, uh, with no one else than with my brother. That's actually interesting because the business didn't succeed, but you as co-founders succeeded and Mm. that's quite a cool learning to take away right Mm -hmm. yes actually we realized okay maybe we are in the wrong business but uh, we as a team uh, doing really well and then when you actually started with your own company in 2015 you were both still working your day jobs or you had other jobs before doing that how do you balance your time john when you were starting out together as co-founders but still like having another job on the side so to speak (laughs) So actually, it was a really tough time. So uh, I had my money job. Actually, I really loved it. It was a great company. I I still have a a strong relationship to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Mostly I worked after my money job and on weekends. And I sneaked into the meeting room and had some uh, calls. But uh, yes, it was just tough. Uh, But it also gave us like um, that we could build a company really lean. So Mm -hmm. we both started with 5,000 Swiss francs. We not even founded a GmbH. It was uh, something else. So it was just really small. But uh, yes, also gave us like freedom. And for me, it was completely 
completely the opposite. I I also had a, a job afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked as a food engineer, but I completely hated the, those jobs. <laughs> uh, and uh, I w- was actually forced into the the um, self-employed. Because of the frustration. Yes, I would say so, yeah. So that's one motivation, right? You are frustrated with your current job. So you say, I can't take it. I want to do my own thing because I cannot work for someone else. Where do you guys think does your entrepreneurial spirit come from? Was that always within you? Or did you have any role models or inspirations in in your family or something that inspired you? Yes, I would definitely say this has something to do with our parents. Our parents are both self-employed, so they wouldn't consider themselves as entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. But um, I would say they really love what they do. And this showed us that we also want to do what we love, actually, yes. Yes. I think that it's a really big uh, goal that we thought, okay, for them, it's not even work. It's just mm-hmm. a passion and really realized, okay, let's go for our passion. I want this too. <laughs> <laughs> and, and John, when you were actually still having your, your you know, money job on the side, is that a setup now looking back that you would recommend to other entrepreneurs to say, you should stay lean. You should try to also bootstrap your company, start with as little as possible. And even if that means having another job on the side, is that the right setup to become an entrepreneur now looking back? I think for us, it was definitely the right setup. Um, Actually, I would recommend it to everybody. I think uh, Mm -hmm. definitely in the beginning, it really helps also on the the pressure side. But you real uh, you have to know when it's the time that you change and then we also realized when we are both working like full for the frères we realized okay now we make the big steps right yeah so a great starting point but be mentally prepared that is going to be very very tough yes <laughs> yeah for sure it's uh, it's a uh, hard work a lot of work yeah. and uh, yes you should know that. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's talk about the early days. You, you founded De Frères in 2015. And the story all started when you actually began to secretly distill chin in the ZHW, the university's student lab. Florian, can you t- talk a bit more about these early days, how you got started? <laughs> yeah, so actually it wasn't at the ZHW student lab. It was at the University of Zurich lab. Oh, okay. And I gave there a course for... Um, lab assistants about the art of distilling so i asked myself what should i teach them uh, um, what kind of distillation and i uh, said myself uh, let's do not this boring stuff let's do something exciting and we distilled gin actually but i didn't told them Uh, as that is it's like a herb (laughs) distillation or something like that right but at the end i was the one who tried it and i i felt really good afterwards i felt (laughs) uh, um I can do a quite good recipe um, mm-hmm. just because of my knowledge. And yes. Did you then already realize that this could be a potential business idea? Yes. So I told afterwards, I told John and I said um, at this time, the gin market wasn't there that it's now. Right. Yeah. And uh, I said, uh, we could do that. Uh, we, we, we can find a distiller and uh, give their uh, give our recipe to, to them. And yes. Yes, but we all, I think since the beginning, we realized we have to do something that is unique mm-hmm. to be like, uh, be separate to all the competitors. Right. 
And you did find a secret ingredient, right? The, the color changing ingredient. Exactly. Yes. So our gin, when it's pure, it's blue. And as soon as you put tonic in it, it gets purple. And at that time, it was something really unique. Yes. And this has very much to do with the pH. So the, mm -hmm. the, those ingredients, they react on the pH. Yeah. And at a new, neutral level, they are, uh, are blue. And mm -hmm. if you add tonic, you add some acid and they go in the sour range and then they turn pink. And because wow. as a food engineer, uh, you know stuff like that. And yes. That, so that sounds like a food engineer's paradise, right? <laughs> Actually, it, was. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but for him, uh, when he first showed me that, it was nothing special. And for me, it was like, wow, it's crazy. Right. It's magic. Yeah. But for him, I think he had it day to day. <laughs> and so, yeah. And then he actually did an interesting thing, right? Because we always hear that from software companies. Go out there, talk to your customers, gather feedback. You basically did pretty much the same. You just didn't go to software clients. You actually went to bars and asked them for feedback. Talk a bit more about how you actually gathered that feedback and what happened then. Yeah, so actually we were naive and just went to the best bars in Zurich and showed them our product. And they really liked it. And they were fascinated about the story, also mm -hmm. about uh, Florian's background, I think. And... Of course, the color change, because at that yeah. time it was definitely something really unique and innovative. So how do I have to imagine this? You didn't just hopped from bar to bar, brought your own bottle of gin with you and asked the barkeeper, you want to have a shot or a drink with us? Yeah, and ex exactly. A little bit like that, where we <laughs> called beforehand. Okay, at uh, least. Yeah. <laughs> and then we went to it. Uh, we, we showed everything. We told about the recipe. We showed the gin in pure form. Mm -hmm. They tried it, they liked it, and then we changed the color. And then it was... That was like the wow effect. Point, yes. yeah. yeah. Because they probably also see that they could sell more with that. That's like a USP or they could even charge more for a drink like that. Mm. Actually, the first bar we went, they even asked us if they can get equity. Wow. <laughs> yes. That's quite a nice yes. feedback. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Did you do that? No. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> so then um, there's also an additional part, right? So you got the feedback, but then you actually perfectioned the recipe um, we think he did that in Tyrol, in Austria. What did he exactly do there? And why did he have to go to Austria and leave Switzerland, so to speak? Yeah, so this has a lot to do with our family background because our father came from Austria and two of our siblings live in Tyrol. And yeah. that's why we had there these connections to this uh, Tyroler master distiller. Mm -hmm. And he actually helped us to uh, finalize the recipe at the end. And, uh, and he's still our distiller now. Um, wow. Yes. yes. But I think when we had the idea, uh, the goal was for us first to produce everything in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. But uh, actually, we went to all, all, a lot of distillers in Switzerland and uh, they not really uh, were enthusiastic about the idea of two brothers making a gin. And so, yeah, we think. Yeah, I, I would say they didn't saw the potential back then um, mm -hmm. because the wave, the gin wave wasn't there al already. So they just uh, thought, uh, okay, just two other guys who want to make a <laughs> gin. Yes. Right. And what is definitely true, we had no clue of the market. Mm -hmm. Is that an advantage or a disadvantage when you're starting out? 
I I I would say we all it's always at advantage to don't know something mm -hmm. because you are not um, that um, you're not blind yes. from like the the shiny numbers and yes, the potential, right? Yes, yeah. and I think uh, if we knew how hard the way would be, I think we yeah. wouldn't do it. Uh, and also, we had like a different uh, perspective on on the product itself uh, and how we try to get customers. Yeah, we will talk about that in a minute, I'm sure. <laughs> but I think being naive a bit as an entrepreneur to start out is actually a very interesting or a, a very big thing because then you you just you take challenge by challenge. And you don't see all the big challenges that will come your way. They yes. will certainly come <laughs> before even starting out and then you don't do it at all. So I think being a bit naive in that regard is actually a very healthy thing. Yes, for sure. Good point. So now also, of course, I want to know a bit more about the chin recipe. I'm not sure how much you can reveal if it's like a secret recipe, <laughs> but can you tell a bit more about what's actually in there, Florian? So unfortunately, we can't tell you a lot, of Fair course. Point. But but uh, of course, there is the juniper. We use the organic juniper. Mm -hmm. um, there is, is like a lemon zest. Uh, um, um, lemon zest, yes. Um, coriander seeds, lavender, orange flowers. Um, I would say uh, all the good ingredients that you also find in a good curry recipe. <laughs> yeah. And then the secret mix that makes it special. Exactly, yes. And where do you actually source your ingredients? Because you said before you wanted to do everything in Switzerland. So how do you then make or not make that happen? Yeah, so this is quite hard because, uh, as I mentioned, um, a lot of the botanicals are not from the neighborhood. Right. So um, we try to be as regioned as possible, mm -hmm. but uh, um, in a lot of uh, cases, it's not possible. Yeah, that's the challenge of... Uh, mm -hmm building such a product in Switzerland, I imagine. And you also mentioned, John, you were the first ones who actually had this color changing chin. Nowadays, you're not anymore. There are many copycats or other products doing a similar thing. Is that sometimes frustrating that, you know, you actually were the first ones, you sort of invented this, but now others are just copying your initial USP? I think at the beginning, for sure, it was a, a tough pill to swallow. Right. Uh, and it was not really easy to accept. I think now with all the success we have, we can handle it. Yeah. But uh, yes, we don't understand it actually. <laughs> when was the first time that you saw someone else doing the same thing? Actually, I cannot remember. Two, I think two years after okay. after yeah. um, after we have been on the market. Okay. Yes. yes. Do you remember the conversation that you then had together? Actually, I think it was a phone call and it was like, did you saw there yeah. is a new chin which changes the color? Uh, and actually, I think, uh, yeah, that, that was definitely a hard time. Also, how we can handle, you always have like uh, bad things in your head that maybe it right. can uh, also risk your career. Sure. Uh, so, And I would say this is definitely a disadvantage uh, for the bootstrap company. You are quite slow in the market so of course, yeah. uh, if we had uh, raised uh, capital we probably have been uh, much bigger then mm -hmm. mm. but at the same time the also the real issue is that you cannot really protect the recipe to a certain degree yes. there's no like real ip so yeah. as soon as someone else does something yes. similar exactly it's gone basically it's not unique anymore mm -hmm. 
did, did he also so you were like still you know growing uh, the company not at the level of course where you are today so that is a real threat what did that do on an emotional level to then get out of this where you then say we have to let that go and focus on ourselves was that like very difficult for you to do actually i think it was uh, for sure a process yeah. uh and it helped a lot that we are two mm -hmm. uh, because then you can talk a lot about it and i yeah. think all, always somebody stronger and can push so yeah. i think that helped a lot i like that i think that's the importance of not being a solo founder yes because if something like that happens you're just really alone <laughs> and have to carry all the weight and sometimes Florian was more motivated, maybe sometimes you, and you, you help each other out, right, in the difficult times. Yes, actually, I cannot imagine to do it by myself. So, actually, I need Florian by my side. Of course. <laughs> <Me neither>. <laughs> <laughs> and did you change anything in, in, in your strategy as soon as other people and companies came out with a similar chin? So, actually, since the beginning, we realized, okay, the, the color change is something unique, but mm -hmm. it shouldn't be our only thing. That's yeah. also, we never had like full focus on the color change. Also on our branding, it was a brown glass bottle, so you couldn't see the color. Right. So, um, and, I, and also our, our gin is doesn't, doesn't uh, called uh, like uh, the color changing Dufret gin or something right, like that. Yeah. Um, so you don't see it when you um on, just on the bottle yeah so it was more a feature but not really the brand itself exactly, yeah, exactly. and the quality was our main focus mm -hmm. and also to so the quality of the whole product to yeah. to, to do a, a good uh, storytelling have nice labeling have a good quality in the product yeah. and uh yeah, be as sustainable as possible and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. mm. So then it was really more the brand play that built your real USP, not really the color, yes, right? exactly. And I, I do want to talk about the importance of brand because I, I see that you have a very beautifully crafted and, and very well-told brand that you built up over the years. So big kudos for that one. <laughs> Thank you very much. How important is the branding for you? How do you create such an outstanding brand? Because I think it takes a lot of time to get to that level and a lot of attention to detail and everything, but it's a huge leverage because that's what people know you, especially in the consumer space afterwards, right? Yes. I think we always had uh, a good understanding of aesthetics, I mm -hmm. think, that helped us a lot. We didn't realize from the beginning how important the brand will be, but just because we were so focused on aesthetics that everybody looks, everything looks nice, that helped us a lot. And we, I think, only after maybe five years, we realized how important all these small steps are for brand building. Mm -hmm. And where do you learn that, how to build a brand? Was it really like learning by doing or do you just have that in your DNA? What helped you to build this beautiful brand that you have? Actually, I think we didn't knew it yeah. then. And also at the beginning, we had never picture about the two brothers, but the mm -hmm. name was two brothers. And we realized, right. okay, the people want to see the two brothers behind the brand. And uh, yeah. so now we are also focusing to show us more uh, pictures behind the scenes and everything. So yeah. it was a lot of learning. And from your experience now, you know, building that brand, other startups just starting out, maybe not necessarily in the consumer space, but just anywhere. What do you think is, is a good like 
focus on these two, three things to actually build a good brand? What would you recommend them to do or to focus on? So I think the most important thing for the customer to see is that the branding has uh, clear a clear language. A, yeah, a clear language, a design language. Uh, so when the customer goes on the social media or on the website, that it's always the same language. Yeah. And if he can see that, I think uh, you did a great job. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you did on your own or do you also work with any agencies or external support? So actually never an agency. It was only a graphic designer which helped us. So we, I think our budget is like... <laughs> very very small on that right. because we do a lot by ourselves mm-hmm. uh, but i think uh, yes we just had a i think the vision also is very important where you want to go that uh, you see the path and mm. what is that for you where do you guys want to go what is your vision so <laughs> i i would say so in the future we don't just want to be a, like a gin producer we definitely want to be like a flavor producer mm-hmm. and uh, be recognized as that as well um that's why we also went to a di- different direction with the rosé wine yeah. and um yes we want to be we want to create memories and that's what we want actually and that's quite a step right so moving away from chain and doing of course still an alcoholic product but a rosé wine that's quite different why yeah. was that the right step for you guys why <laughs> rosé not something completely different like other liquors or anything so actually, we were quite scared to do that step, and mm-hmm. we didn't knew if the the customers really can understand why we're doing it. But uh, yeah, it but it I think at the end it was because our vision was always to be a flavor a producer, yeah. and we want to do if if we like it, we want to do a whiskey or a wine, a mm-hmm. red wine. It can be everything. I think at the at the start, it has to be a love for the product, mm-hmm. and then we can uh, show the customer why they have to buy it. So is that also your personal attachment to the product where you say, hey, I also personally like to drink rosé wine, that's why we actually do it? Yes. I, I think uh, also uh, four years ago, we we traveled to Spain mm-hmm. and uh, visit some vineyards. Then it was only red wine, and we realized, okay, there can be a connection but I think the the step then was way too much, yeah. way too big. So only two years ago, we realized, okay, maybe there can be a smaller step with Rosé. Yeah. And I think that's like probably the second part, the authenticity, where you build products that you yourself enjoy and then have the personal story crafted around it that makes your brand so unique and nobody else can compete with that. Yeah, it's uh, really nice to hear <laughs> we could say that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we try to do that for sure but uh, I think uh, it it was also a, a, a big goal for us that uh, to be to have that authenticity in the brand and uh, yes just do things we love absolutely and one important part of the whole you know product game is of course to have distribution and sales aligned so the first question here is you started out in Switzerland and when you were starting out, was the market actually big enough for a chin as you just produced it or now also with the rosé wine? In the beginning, we thought definitely, I think Swiss is not enough. Right. Uh, we need more markets. Now, after six years, I think, and all the learnings, we realized 
Switzerland is a great market and for sure big enough. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, we are already on. Yes, of course. And, and the st- there's still a limit, of course, in the Swiss market. So I would say we can double the revenue in Switzerland, but then there's a limit uh, to the Swiss markets. And that wh- that's why we also want to expand to different countries. Mm-hmm. And we are now in uh, France, uh, Austria, Germany, and we started just in China uh, oh, wow. last month. Yes. Wow, that's a big one. I want to talk more about that. But before I do, I want to go back to 2015 when you actually started out because you made a very conscious decision, right? You focused on the food service industry first instead of going retail directly. Why was that the right step for you? So actually, we just thought it's a a really good thing to be in the best bars in uh, Zurich. Mm -hmm. And there maybe you can create a demand uh, that the customer go to the retailers and ask for our gin. And actually, that it was what happened. So... uh, the people or the barkeeper told them, hey, it's a color-changing gin. They ordered it and the people saw it next yeah. to it and then saw, hey, there's something pink in it. And uh, yes, I think that really gained to do it. Yes, and on. the retailers had a lot of requests for it. That's and amazing. it's much easier to talk to a head buyer when there are already requests yeah. for your gin. Yeah. So that's like a master plan that really played out very <laughs> but well. But actually, it was just luck. Uh, yeah, we did yeah. it on. <laughs> we didn't do it on purpose. We just did it, and yes. uh, then we realized what we did. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, we worked with it. How are you set up today? What is more important, the traditional B two B market segment or the retail B two C segment for you? So I think it's uh, the retail is more important. Okay. But still, I think that, that as a brand, especially for the branding, it's very important to be in good bars, in good hotels and everything. And how do you pick them? Like, is it also, again, like personal preference and on like a personal fit? So as a brand, we don't want to be in a discounter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we choose only like premium retailers mm-hmm. and we are... I think really picky on it, but it's not that easy. So yeah. sometimes they can get your products from other channels. So it's a, right. it's a tough one. Yeah. So you lose a bit of control there. Yes, you do. And how do you tackle the foreign markets? I mean, of course, the close countries around Switzerland, but also especially China. Do you set up your own channels? Do you work with distributors for these local countries or how do you do that? So mostly you have a distributor in the in the country and he manages everything. So we still have big control about marketing and events, everything, mm-hmm. but he is responsible for selling and everything. But especially in China now, we build our, our own company over there um, oh. to c- control it ever even better. Yes. And uh, we have already employees there, so... So I think if, if it's, so it's more <laughs> yeah, but it sounds, I mean, that's it's, it, it sounds big, but it, it's still very small. So I think on the on the money side to be lean, I think for sure it's better to have a distributor mm-hmm. and don't have uh, own entity in a yeah. country. I think with China, um, we thought it's maybe better to really understand the market okay. and how it works. 
But then you also do the distribution yourself or you still work with partners in China? We still have partners there, okay. yes. But you have the legal entity to represent the brand in yes. China. So And also we do the logistics and everything. Okay. Yes. Is that also healthier for your merchants because you can charge more or you have a longer control over the supply chain? Yes, actually it is. But uh, now on the China business case, it was a really tough one to yeah. really understand uh how everything works uh also like to have a bank account in china it took us nearly two years uh and also covid hit us it wasn't a a good timing but uh yeah it's uh, definitely a lesson learned there (laughs) that sounds like a very time intense adventurous it was it was (laughs) and actually we still don't know if it really succeeds yeah Yeah. Yeah. but why do you choose China? And I, of course, you have the, the close countries to Switzerland, but like why China, not, for example, the UK or United States, Australia? Why China? Actually, what we see in China is that gin market is still very small mm-hmm. to the population. And it's all the big brands are investing now in China, also the, the gin brands. Yeah. But there is no really crafty gin brands there. So right. we see big pon- potential for that reason okay so it's really also yeah clearly a business decision where you see the potential and the good timing to be there early to capture the market Mm. yeah now Florian, maybe for you um you said you have rosé now as well in the offering right so you do, do you actually do expansion in two fronts right the geographical expansion to other countries like china but also the product expansion why is it the right strategy to do both at the same time? That sounds like a lot of work for you guys. <laughs> so would you like to answer this question? It's quite, I, quite I, a actually, hard one. Yeah, it's a, actually, it's a really hard one. Actually, I also don't know uh, the right answer to that. Uh, I think there is also our passion for uh, creating new products. Mm-hmm. So since the beginning, we want to do a second or third product. But we never like had the guts to do it. And yeah. with the Rosé project, we really had the feeling, hey, we are also on the right timing. It's a, a really good product we created and we should just go. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you use the same sector. So this really helps. Right. Um, you you have the same logistic and... Um, Yes, therefore you can offer the rosé also, also to other customers that also buy the gin. Right. Yeah, um, it's probably a bit of a different shape of the bottle, but the logistical process is very similar, right? Exactly. To import and export alcohol, basically. Mm-hmm. And also a good part, but we didn't know it actually. So we knew, but we didn't know how crazy it is. So rosé is a summer product mm-hmm. and gin for us, uh, Christmas is uh, the most important time. I so see. it helps us also to have, like, um, to grow the low season. It all makes sense now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Afterwards, it Afterwards. all makes sense. <laughs> um, wh- one more thing that I'm really interested to talk about is you bootstrap the company. So, you know, to actually invest and, and get to the level where you are right now, that's a significant investment to also continuously reinvest the proceeds and the money that you make from the company into the next product into the geographical expansion did you ever think about taking on external money yeah so we we are thinking about to build our own facility in the center of zurich and now uh, the, the time has come 
to that that we are thinking to take external money but not for equity mm -hmm. just to work with it yeah. and um yeah when we had, when we started we we started with with 5000 uh, swiss francs each so it was yeah. quite small and we invested everything we had so yeah so i think uh, it it definitely came over mind sometimes we also mm -hmm. had some uh, requests from outside uh, yeah. people but we always really liked uh, the idea that we can decide for ourselves and yeah. that also i think it it was always a big strength of us that we can decide really quickly mm -hmm. and uh, when covid hit switzerland um, we had like also like big fear of what is happening with our uh, company and we switched really fast to sanitizer and I think we only could do that because we are two founders and uh, it's right. our own company. Mm. If yeah. we had external investors, I think uh, it would take too long. It goes a bit back to what you said at the beginning, Florian, that you don't want to work for someone else. Mm -hmm. So having investors in that regard can be a bit like having a boss, whether you want it or not, right? Yeah, probably. So yes. you want to keep that freedom. Now, if you say that you're thinking about you know, getting some money in to build a production facility. That sounds like a huge investment to me. So how would you structure that? You said not equity. Would you do that as a loan or how would you structure that? Yes, we, we think about a loan uh, because still we want to have our own <laughs> company. Sure. But uh, yes, we are now uh, looking for that and we'll see. And, w and we are actually not sure if we need the loan. So yes. oh, okay. yes. there's uh, still a chance that we can uh, pay everything by our own I know you're probably not going to answer, but I'm just curious. What's your revenue now? Ah, <laughs> uh, we don't say that. Actually, we are. <laughs> we, ne we never say uh, like numbers of uh, our whole bottles or revenue. Yeah. Actually, we are very um, conservative yeah. in this way, <laughs> or very Swiss. Very, very Swiss, Swiss. Yeah, very, very secretive. Swiss. Yeah. Um, seven or eight figures. We also don't say that. Okay. <laughs> I try. It's my job to yeah. try. Okay, then let's focus on a different topic. Working together with your brother. I mean, you both do that, obviously. What are some advantages and disadvantages of doing that? Maybe start with you first, Chan. So I would say, actually, it's only an advantage. Okay. Um, yeah, I think we both uh, trust each other and we both have the, the same vision and we know... I want the best for him. He wants mm -hmm. the best for me. So I think it only helps. Yes, the trust, I would say, is uh, the biggest point. Yeah. Uh, we definitely know our weakness and uh, our strengths as well. Mm -hmm. And um, so for me, it's also just an advantage, I would say. So yes. Can it sometimes also be too overwhelming that, you know, when you're like not working, that business is still always a topic? That's a problem, definitely. So and there's we, no work-life balance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And we also uh, live in the same building. <laughs> That's dangerous, guys. Yeah, it's it, it's very dangerous. But I think, yeah, because at the end, it's not really work for us. It's yeah. just uh, we really love it. And that's why it doesn't feel like work and too much. So yeah. it's always in our minds. So it's like a big hobby that makes you some money. Yes. <laughs> that's cool so now i still want to talk about the future of course so you do the geographic expansion you launched your rose wine what is next for you what's your focus going to be over the next few months 
So definitely our new location uh, is a big thing. Uh, also, I think we will have focus on China. But uh, still, uh, we see so much potential in Switzerland and we we want, want that everybody are Every customer in Switzerland knows our brand mm -hmm. and uh, knows what we stand for. Uh, and uh, it's also a big focus there. And is there any third product planned? There are many products planned. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so w w we have a lot of plans, yeah. but nothing we can say now. But okay. um, there are definitely something on in the in the small shoes already yes so we drink a few more chins a few more rosy wines and then eventually there will be something else you will get your revenue <laughs> <and> <laughs> number and the new products absolutely <laughs> and one thing i also wonder now you purposefully didn't take on any investors but you are growing you are building your brand and therefore also becoming more and more valuable as a company have you ever thought about selling the company Yes, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Every time when it's very hard, we think about it. Actually. <laughs> Why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah. No, but seriously, is that like an option that you consider? Um, actually, I think uh, for me, it's it's an option. Uh, I think uh, maybe when there is the right timing, I'm ready to leave. Mm -hmm. But uh, I still see so much potential in our brand. Yeah, uh, yeah so open but not actively looking yes exactly okay. i would say the same yes and i think we realize now that the brand du frere is um quite big as a brand mm -hmm. and that we can build something like a rosé and it's sold out at the end of the summer and <laughs> this is amazing this is fantastic yeah. yes but at the same time it will also be very difficult or they just have to negotiate well if a company wants to buy you you guys you are the brand right so they have to give you a tight earnout schedule to stay on board. <laughs> yeah, probably you can argue that way. Yes, I, I think um, you could say that the brand uh, is very close with the two founders, with the two brothers. Yeah. But actually, I think uh, it's still. Uh, I think so. Our plan for the future is maybe that all maybe know the two brothers behind, mm -hmm. but we are not. Uh, producing anymore the the chin sure. so we yeah. still can be the face but yeah. shouldn't be operative of course and now on a personal level you know outside of the business world what is next for the two brothers so outside of the business world i think there is not a lot <laughs> uh, yeah for me it's just uh to grow as a person for mm -hmm. sure uh and I, I definitely want to be a better person. I I know my weaknesses and I try to improve on that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think my goal of life is to to have like the a good work life balance. Mm -hmm. And for you, Florian? Uh, so I became father one and a half a year ago. So oh, nice. I'm never yeah. in my comfort zone anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, Yes, always improving and... Um, you have to have some packed days these days. Yes, I would say so. <laughs> Actually, yeah, it was definitely also a change in the company. So right. uh, uh, it shifted a little bit for Florian, uh, but I think we also could manage that really well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think uh, family is a big part in our life and very important. It's a pure family business. Yeah. I mean, you can tell. <laughs> 
So to wrap up the conversation, we prepared some rapid fire questions for you. So I either gave you different options to choose from or a simple question and you have to answer in one sentence. Okay, let's You're go. ready? <laughs> in one sentence. In one okay, sentence, okay. ideally. <laughs> so John, if you had to choose one, handball on a professional level or entrepreneurship? Hard one. I think both are really similar. Uh, both give you the same feelings about the win uh, when you gain a, a good customer. Uh, but if I had to choose, I would go for entrepreneurship. Why? It's more rewarding for you or why is that? Where's the money is. Fair point. But I think uh, on the long run, it's definitely more rewarding. Yeah. Now, a very tough one for both of you. I start with you, Florian. Chin or Rosé? So I probably would go for the gin. Uh, I don't drink a lot. I do a lot of sports. Um and if I enjoy the drink, I want the pure flavors. And I see that more in the the pure spirit. Yeah. I see. And for you? I would go for the rosé. Okay. <laughs> I love wine. Perfect. <laughs> so perfect addition. Yeah, you both yeah. have enough to drink <laughs> then. Exactly. <laughs> what gets you through tough times? I would say my brother. Uh, I think, again, that we are two uh, because it's just a good team. Mm hmm for you Florian yes so definitely the brotherhood of course and we also do a lot of sport this definitely helps us a lot um, mm. not always be with your mind in the business but also be yeah, doing two fun off, stuff yeah. right and the last one what's the best drink can also be non-alcoholic that you've ever had that you didn't produce yourself with you Florian first um, so do you know um Cucumis, Kukum, uh, oh, yeah. Cucumis, yeah. I love Cucumis. I yeah. drink it a lot yeah. as an operative uh, in the evening. It's a non-alcoholic yeah. cu cucumber uh, lemonade. Super refreshing. It is. Yeah. And uh, not that much sugar, sugar. And I really yeah. love that one, I would say. Cool. Excellent choice. For you, Chan? So I really like uh, whiskey sour. And that's why I would choose uh, Nika whiskey. They did an amazing branding. It was like unique at that time. It was so different than any other whiskey brand. So I love that. Cool. Why do I have the impression that you would go for an alcoholic drink? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I think that says it all. Guys, thank you so much for stopping by. Lots of success with your company. We're super excited to not only drink your products, but you also see where you're going next with your company. Thank you Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.